This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good afternoon. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you today? Doing well. I'm loving this fall weather. Mm -hmm. I'm loving it. Great time of the year. Sam, how are you? I'm good. You know, we went to the state fair the other night and it was so wonderful. I was like, it's cool. I'm not sweating. I could actually drink my hot apple cider without profusely sweating. So it was wonderful. Love it. Yes. Anytime we can get out to the fair, it's good. And glad to have the fair back this year. We're all very excited. I'm going for round two just to make up for last time. Well, right after the show, you know, throw me a hot dog over the fence. That's all I need, corn dog, yep. Very good, very good. Well, let's get down to business here. We're going to start out the show talking a little bit about a legislative update and some items that we want to keep an eye on. And we are very pleased to have two guests with us on the line. We're going to be talking with two folks from the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina, also known as AHC. And we are pleased to welcome Tim Rogers, who's the president and CEO, as well as Julia Adams-Sherrick, who's vice president of government relations and public policy. Tim and Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having us. I'm so excited, Tim, to hear your voice. You're a good friend of Transitions and Ock and Julia. You guys are, have been wonderful to us. We really uh, appreciate everything that you do for our industry. So maybe, Tim, could you start out with an introduction of yourself and of the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina? Oh, absolutely. First, I just want to say I'm jealous about the state fair. <laughs> out there. You've given a great introduction for our state fair. But sure, I have... Um, proud to have been in um, home care and hospice now 29 years, um, 20 at the association at the helm as president and CEO. So I've been in this uh, industry 29 wonderful years. And um, our association is one of the largest and oldest of its kind in the country, celebrating our 50th anniversary um, this year. And we represent over 775 um, home care, home health, private duty, and hospice and palliative care agencies and businesses that provide services. Um, and we estimate that around 500,000 North Carolinians receive some type of in-home services on a daily basis. Um, and in, we employ, if you include um, all the employees and, and CNAs and nurses, and all these types of agencies, uh, including private um, pay agencies, over 100,000 workers in the state of North Carolina. So this is really an important industry, and we all know how valuable home care and hospice is to the Tar Heel State. Absolutely. That's very impressive. Uh, so I want to dive right in to one of my favorite topics, and it's government relations and policy. Um, <laughs> there is new les- legislation that was filed in the House a couple weeks ago. Can you talk to us about the components of the Choose Home Care Act of 2021 and what it means for our listeners, caregivers, the aging population? Um, share with us a little bit more about this legislation. Sure. Well, we all know that in the Medicare benefit, there is a phenomenal home health benefit and hospice benefit. 
but the home health benefit has rarely been touched since the inception of Medicare in the 1960s. Actually, the Choose Home Care Act was first introduced in the Senate in a bipartisan legislation um, by Senator Stabenow of Michigan, Lankford of uh, Oklahoma, and Young of Indiana. And then a companion bill, uh, 5514, was then introduced in the House a few weeks later, also bipartisan. We all know, or our, your listeners and everybody should know, that home care has long been a safe and effective alternative to, to an institutional setting. Now, there is a place, a time and a place for everything in the health care continuum. If it's institutional care, assisted living, but home care is most preferred by our our family members. It's, 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 it's the most preferred setting of care. And what this benefit is trying to do is it's designed to help those that are clinically appropriate leaving the hospital to have more of a designation of nursing home or type benefits in the home versus having to go to an institution. Wouldn't mm. that be wonderful mm-hmm. to have more um, types of of benefits um, being um, home modification, remote patient monitoring, telehealth services, and for the first time ever in the Medicare benefit, personal care services, which includes transportation, meals, and things like that for an additional 30 days. This would be the very first time in the history of the Medicare benefit that the home health benefit would be modified to allow for more services paid for under Medicare for patients. And it would save the Medicare program up to $250 million a year over the next 10 years. So, wow. Um, (laughs) It has an uphill battle a little bit because even though there's a lot of people signing on to it, Mary and, and Sam and others, I mean, consumer groups, AARP, independent living groups, the nursing home community is not so, uh, mm-hmm. it's not Woodstock to them. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not Woodstock. But other than that, um, you know, we, we're really working hard on it. And I'll tell you a little bit more about how OCK is working with our federal partners. But we're excited. We're excited in North Carolina and the nation to modernize the Medicare home health benefit to make it easier and better for clinically acute patients to come home to home care more first than have to go to a facility. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is such a timely topic that we talk about a lot on our show that, uh, you know, a lot of people, and we've seen it too, I think, in our day-to-day work at Transitions, a lot more people are choosing to receive care at home these days. And I definitely kind of see that Mm -hmm. projecting into the future, even past COVID. Um, But Tim, would you say that COVID kind of started this conversation in legislation? Um, You know, it did. Because we learned that um, in everything in COVID that there were obstacles in yes. the skilled nursing situation, and they admitted that themselves. And um, uh, from the care, from the workforce um, staffing situation, mm-hmm. we even know now that there are skilled nursing facilities across the nation and even in our great state. And we get along well with our nursing home association here in North Carolina that some are not able to take certain referrals mm-hmm. um, in, in certain parts of our state due to staffing issues or some other aspects. But we have a good nursing home relationship in many parts of the state. But let us be able to 
take care of those that we can mm-hmm. in the home. And, and this is what we are trying to talk with Congress about. And Congress, many people in Congress are, have very um, excited about this. Democrats and Republicans are coming together in both parties because they see over a 10-year period a potential savings of $1.6 to $2.8 billion over 10 years to the Medicare program. Um, And it's just a way to continue to have the nursing home benefit as it is, but just modernize the home health benefit a little bit so to sort of be a relief valve. Mm-hmm. so to speak, to that nursing home uh, benefit so that we can expand on home health and make it a better benefit than we currently have. That's wonderful. So can you tell us uh, briefly, what what has OCK been doing to support this legislation? Absolutely. Well, in a minute, you'll be talking to uh, my colleague and staff member um, who is so learned, Julia, about everything she's doing in the state. But we partner with our federal partners. North Carolina is a strong partner on the national level with all our national association, excuse me, association of the National Association for Home Care and Hospice, the Partnership for Quality Home Health Care, PQHH. And also, um, I am coming off being chair of the Council of State Home Care and Hospice Associations. That's an independent organization of 41 state associations. We are a co-sponsor of this, the Forum of State Associations. And we also have signed on with Leading Age nationally. Um, that's a group of independent uh, organizations, of nonprofit uh, nursing homes, as well as home health and hospice. AARP, we're all, we're partnering with them to try to get co-sponsors and lobbying, and we're getting lobbying firms. Uh, I will say successfully, our association also manages the South Carolina Home Care and Hospice Association, and we've been successful in getting Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina to co-sponsor this. And I'll go ahead and put a plug in. We're working hard to get Senator Richard Burr and also Senator uh, Tom Tillis to sign on to Senate Bill 2562. So, listeners, we need your help in getting Senator Burr and Senator Catillus. This is great legislation that they can sign on. It's bipartisan. Um, All the polls, morning consult, um, all the the Gen X, everybody is saying that 9 out of 10 individuals and family members prefer to be cared for in the comfort and the privacy of their own home when they can be, Mm -hmm. this is the opportunity to do so. Excellent, excellent. That is the voice of Tim Rogers. We're going to be speaking with Julia Adams Sherrick as well. They are both with the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina, and we're going to continue our conversation with them right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, you can always go online anytime to transitionslifecare.org. Transitions Life Care. 
org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. We're talking about some important legislation that you might want to be keeping an eye on, and we're doing so with Tim Rogers and Julia adams Sherrick. They are both with the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. Tim is the president and CEO, and Julia is the vice president of government relations and public policy. And going to be getting into a discussion here. I mean, uh, we've talked a a little bit in the previous segment about the impact of COVID and Mm -hmm. quarantine, and we're going to get into that a little bit more here. Yeah, and what we really wanted to talk about, too, is how COVID has really kind of changed the conversation around receiving care and home care in particular. And I know for some of our listeners who may have heard past episodes, I've talked a bit about my grandmother who back in November of almost a year ago now, we uh, she was hospitalized and we had to make a decision for her when she was discharged. One of her options was to be discharged to a skilled nursing facility. And at the time, unfortunately, because of COVID restrictions and other things going on, the only option for her was about two hours away from where my family lived. And so that was just not really going to work for us. We wanted her to be closer um, so we could check in on her and be nearby. So we opted to bring her home and I actually helped do a lot of coordination with this, helped to bring her home with home health so she could be at home. Uh, She's been very independent her whole life. So that was a great option for us. So Tim and Julia, would you guys say that the pandemic has really kind of changed this conversation and how has the state been handling this? Thank you so much for that question, and thank you for sharing your story, because I believe stories like yours have really shaped a brand-new dialogue in the state of North Carolina around how do we take care of folks in their home, Mm -hmm. how do we make sure that they stay close to their family, to their churches, to their social network that they've created through their lives, their friends, Um, and I think we've been seeing that from the very start of the pandemic. So I often say this has been a really super long journey for all of us, and it has been filled with a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. But the silver lining of the pandemic has been the incredible policy we've seen in the state that has been bipartisan, that has really started to reflect back what you just said. So let me touch on a few things there for you. Mm -hmm. The first thing that we saw when the pandemic started was Speaker Tim Moore um, brought together a bipartisan committee just to look at what the federal government changes were going to be, what kind of extra money we were going to have coming through the state, what kind of flexibilities. And that first part was our public health emergency declaration, right? Mm -hmm. And that allowed the state to really say, hey, we can do a lot of things that we've always wanted to do, and we can do it quicker. And so we started to see a big shift in policy let's do stuff at home. Let's keep folks out of nursing home facilities. And again, we have a great partnership with the nursing homes. Mm -hmm. But let's get folks out of our nursing home facilities, out of our skilled nursing facilities. Let's make sure we're addressing where people live and what they need. And so, you know, one of the really interesting things that I think happened, especially in this budget, is how much money we were able to use to build a robust health care budget in the house. Right. Mm -hmm. So we had the American Rescue Plan on the federal side. It dumped a lot of money into this state because of stories like yours and our listeners. You all did an amazing job of also calling and talking to legislators. This budget reflects doing services at home. It included direct care worker wages, a big lift in how providers can actually hire folks 
and pay a living wage to those individuals so that we could really get more people into Mm -hmm. homes. It included rate increases for providers for private duty nursing, which is really critical because we need more nurses to be able to do this high level of high-quality home-based care. It also included a bunch of innovative things around home health about how we can create new programs, use new technology, smart home technology, mm-hmm. not just, you know, the, I, so I have to say my mom had one of these. It was an emergency call button, right, or after <laughs> nap that you could wear. Um, my mom was um, 83, still living in her home in Florida by herself, incredibly independent. But she did start to fall. Mm-hmm. And so that, that kind of smart home technology that we've never been able to use as a Medicaid billable, this budget starts to address that. What can we do about having a way to make more homes smart homes to allow that extra wraparound? And how can we do it so that it's covered by Medicaid? Because mm-hmm. we do know a lot of folks do have Medicaid mm-hmm. who are your listeners. Um, and then also just really taking a look at, hey, is there a way that we can do new things, different things? And one of the things that I think we'll see is a new type of service that will take a look at folks who are living in our institutions, who have a disability, who also have some significant medical needs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they have a heart condition or they need a little bit more robust personal care service, or maybe they need the smart home technology, or maybe they need um, some social determinants of health, right? Addressing do they have transportation? Do they have a safe place to live? How's their food? Are they able to get food at home? And that is also something we are seeing in the budget right now being discussed by the House and Senate. All of the things I just talked about were included in the House Health and Human Service budget in the state of North Carolina. And that conversation shifted because of COVID-19. That is a silver lining in the pandemic. It really is. We also <laughs> great news. did some great, yeah, great. Um, I want to touch one more, a little change that I think is really important. That's the telehealth option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I am positive, you know, all of the folks that are listening um, have heard the word telehealth. Um, they've heard it, they've, they've seen it on television, all of these options. If you need mental health care, you can go ahead and dial this number and a clinician will pick up. But when we talk about COVID-19, telehealth became a big topic. Yes. And we really changed the way we do telehealth. We removed a lot of geographic barriers. Um, we removed a lot of technology barriers. You can do telehealth now on your phone. You know, we're calling into your, your show today on our <laughs> cell phone. And you can now reach out to your primary care doctor on your cell phone. And we're seeing Health and Human Services in North Carolina start to make a lot of those where they can permanent changes. And, again, that provides great access for the folks that you're listening to when you need to check in with your primary care. Those are great points. And all of this seems like such great news. So where do we stand right now and what's holding up the budget? Oh, so this is a really long session. So welcome to fall in North Carolina. (laughs) Um, For those of us who have not been on the budget train for this entire time, we started in the winter in January, um, and we are getting very close 
into um, the winter again. <laughs> um, and I would make a Game of Thrones reference here that winter is coming. <laughs> that didn't end well for Game of Thrones. So um, here's what we have. The House and Senate leadership, Speaker Tim Moore and Senate President Phil Berger, have completed what we call the legislative budget proposal. They have gone through a bunch of negotiations, and they have wrapped up their budget. And they gave it to the governor. And this is really interesting because this is the first time that in my 20 years of doing this job, we are actually seeing the governor's team brought in for the final negotiations on a budget. When we talk about the pandemic, this is another silver lining in that pandemic. We need a new state budget. The only way we do innovative change in North Carolina, all those great things I just kind of ran down, is if we get this budget signed. And so two weeks ago, uh, Senator Phil Berger and Speaker Tim Moore presented their budget to the governor. The governor reviewed it and basically sent Speaker Moore and uh, Senator Phil Berger kind of a counteroffer kind of like we're buying a house, right? You keep going mm-hmm. back and forth <laughs> to see where the good purchase is. Um, it's a negotiation. Um, what we heard, which was very positive yesterday, is uh, Speaker Moore and Senator Phil Berger reviewed the governor's proposal and have handed him back a counterproposal. So that is really good because mm-hmm. the dialogue is continuing between the two. Um if I looked in my crystal ball right now to answer your question of what's the holdup, I think we have a few pieces that we're still working on. One is Medicaid expansion. Uh, yeah. Do we do it? Do we not do it? Mm-hmm. And if we do it, how do we do it? I think the second is really something that's outside of healthcare, but is having a huge influence right now on this discussion, and that's the Leandro case. And that deals with educational equity and a judicial settlement, right? Mm-hmm. But because it's money and it and has to be negotiated, it's in the discussion right now. And then I think the last thing really is talking about teacher raises mm-hmm. and tax package. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the tax incentives or tax reductions that we'll see? Notice I didn't say anything about those direct care workers. Um, and I'm going to explain why real quick if I could. Well, we do need to take a, a quick break, Julia. We're, we're going to pick right back up on that. Thank you so much for this breakdown of the budget. We need to put you on the staff here at PTM. Yeah, put <laughs> them on payroll. <laughs> excellent breakdown. We're going to continue our conversation with Tim Rogers and Julia Adams-Sherrick, both with the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina, right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680. WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson on the line. We are very pleased to have Tim Rogers and Julia Adams-Sherrick, 
both with the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. Tim is the president and CEO. Julia is the vice president of government relations and public policy. And Julia was just breaking down the budget a while ago. And uh, I did have to cut her off for a break, unfortunately. (laughs) But uh, there was one key component, Mary, that we wanted to get to before we wrap up the conversation on the budget. Absolutely. And I myself am a caregiver as uh, as well as others on this call. So it's very important. Uh, And as well as for our listeners, how did the budget impact caregivers and the workforce, Julia? Thanks, Barry, so much for the question. You know, I think we had a really historic moment in North Carolina, and I think every one of our families um, and caregivers need to take a bow for all their advocacy work. This was the first time in our budget history that the governor's budget, the House's budget, and the Senate's budget all included supports for direct care workers and workforce development. Mm. And all of them recognized that it is a critical need for the people in North Carolina who have been caregivers and who are looking for caregivers for their loved ones in their home. And so I am, I'm really excited that that finally um, occurred, uh, that that was a lot of hard advocacy work, not just by associations and association partners, but by people telling their stories. Mm-hmm. And so continue to tell your stories to your elected officials. It had a dramatic effect on the budget this year. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of I, – I wish there was like a little um, sound effect. Jason, can you add in an applause right oh, here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to talk to you about the No Patient Left Alone Act and now that it's a law. So what is this and what does it mean for caregivers? So one thing that we had happened during COVID-19 and during the pandemic, mostly when we did – the executive order that was a stay-at-home order where we all were kind of stuck in our house, mm-hmm. um, we noticed that there were some significant problems with caregivers and family members being able to access facilities, hospitals, uh, nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities. Part of that was to control uh, the, the outbreak of COVID-19, but it had a dramatic effect on families, and more importantly, it had a dramatic effect Um, on the mental health and well-being and health of the individual who is living in the facility or being treated in the hospital. And so when we went back into session this year, uh, Senator uh, Daniel, Senator Krawick, and Senator Britt filed Senate Bill 191, the No Patient Left Alone Act, which would guarantee that folks would be able to have visitation rights. Now, visitation rights are always there, but this kind of caught us, like, makes it real, Right and gives families something that they can look at and use when they're trying to access that hospital or that facility. And it basically says, and I'm going to read this because it's like just plain old straightforward, all facilities have to allow compassionate care visits. They Mm -hmm. finally said what a compassionate care visit is, not just end of life. It's also when someone's been living with a family member and they're struggling with the new environment. Mm-hmm. We know that happened a lot. Um, when someone is grieving the loss of their friends or family, or when a patient just needs encouragement for queuing, for eating or drinking, or when a patient is under emotional distress. And it basically guarantees these rights. And I think that that is so important because I knew myself, I was actually in the hospital um, last September for mm-hmm. four days. 
And my biggest concern was that my husband wouldn't be able to visit me. Mm-hmm. And he was allowed in, but he was the only one allowed in. And it took a lot of kind of, you know, making sure folks knew that, that, that there were already, you know, in, in, in place guidelines that would have allowed him in. Mm-hmm. That separation was so hard. And so we did work with the bill sponsors. Um, on this very important piece of legislation um, as it moves through the General Assembly, and it is now law. That's great news. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and it's another good thing that came out of the pandemic. It was so hard for many, but there's some great stuff that's happening to, to help surround caregivers um, and those that were affected by it. So that's that's good news. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, want to touch on um, what other work is OCK doing around advanced care planning, some of the other things that you have going on around uh, these topics? So, you know, it's interesting with that first, that first bill that came out that was bipartisan out of Speaker Tim Moore's committee that really was our COVID Relief Act, had this really good, strong change um, to allow folks who were doing um, health care power of attorney and advanced health care directives to, you know, to, to have more flexibility in how those documents were filed, right? Because, again, we're all shut at home, right? We're mm-hmm. not allowed out of mm-hmm. our houses back then. <laughs> and we still have these important documents we needed to do. And so it was really difficult to get two qualified witnesses and a notary to do this, right, for the powers of attorney and for the advanced health care directive. So that first COVID bill out said, hey, we recognize it's difficult and complicated, so we'll give you two qualified witnesses or a notary, great mm-hmm. flexibility. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we were still doing electronic notarization. And so a lot of these forms could be done online, and they could be sent in, and they could go through um, the electronic system at the Secretary of State. So when we talk about partnerships, we work with the North Carolina Serious Illness um, Groups Coalition, as well as the North Carolina Secretary of State, and we, as a team, filed Senate Bill 666 um, to make those changes permanent, right, to make those flexibilities, again, to give caregivers the opportunity to file these very important documents, but to do it in a way that is more flexible and that recognizes that a lot of us are still at home taking care of folks. Um, even though those executive orders have expired, you know, the stay at home and the safer at home, mm-hmm. we're still at home. And we're still taking care of our loved ones at home. And this bill, Senate Bill 666, again, bipartisan, um, passed the Senate and is now in the House. And we are working to get it through uh, the House, possibly this session. It depends on how long this session goes. Um, but I think it's a really, again, another one of those moments where I'm so proud to be part of the team at the Association for Home and Hospice Care because, again, this really reflects um, a huge policy shift that uh, we have been able to lead on and advocate for. You all are so and busy. Can I, just, <laughs> can I just add really quick one thing, too? And to Julia's point about the uh, Serious Illness Coalition, that's a group of about 80 to 85 organizations and individuals that have come together across North Carolina, and they, cho- they chose this association to carry its legislative banner. So it says a lot for Julia and her team of lobbyists and our association to really push this and to continue to modernize the advanced care planning process. And we're going to work really, really hard to push this over the goal line, so to speak. So pass the Senate unanimously. It's there now in the House. So 
kudos to Julia and kudos to the Serious Illness Coalition for the partnership that we're going in. So for your listeners, we're on the right track for advanced care planning for your families. I just wanted to say that. That's Thank amazing. You. Thank you for everything you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. That's so wonderful. So we have a hot topic that we wanted to hit, but we've only got a minute or two left, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, Julia, you had mentioned Medicaid expansion earlier. Is it still possible? So I go into every session with my fingers crossed, hoping this (laughs) is the year we get Medicaid expansion. I'll tell you, it is on the table. It is being robustly discussed by the Senate and the governor's office. Um, And I'll also tell you that there is a sweetener that was handed down by the federal government in the American Rescue Plan Act that said for the 11 states that do not have expansion, we'll pick up the full freight. We'll pay for everything, 100%, um, for the next five years. So that's good. Another little sweetener coming down from the federal government is a piece of legislation that is a Medicaid gap bill. Um, introduced by the two senators uh, from the state of Georgia, that would be a federal option for those states that do not expand Medicaid. So I'm thinking right now there is going to be a lot more discussion because we like to do in North Carolina the North Carolina way (laughs) about maybe this is the time to go ahead and and do a North Carolina version of Medicaid expansion. We're we're hearing positive things in the news about it. So. And, and our association has been on record for years um, supporting um, the governor and the administration that we need to expand the Medicaid program and to do it because our citizens deserve this expansion. And it's really unfortunate that our state is the largest state among the states that have not done that. And Julia has outlined many different avenues, roadways of which this vehicle can take the right turn to make the right path forward. Thanks. We've been speaking with Tim Rogers and Julia Adams-Sherrick, both of the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. Tim, if folks uh, listening right now want to stay connected to what you guys are doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, Absolutely. They can also go to um, our website at ahhcnc.org. They can also call us at 848-3450. And and they can also access um, services through any of their local um, uh, um, county-based home health and hospice and home care. We have a directory online that if they need services, they can access um, those agencies in the 100 counties in North Carolina through our online directory, or they can email us. That e- Those email addresses are on our website as well as our telephone number. We are here to assist you. We are here to be your resource. We are that resource, and we have been for 50 years. Very well said. Again, that website, A-H-H-C-N-C. Org, an abbreviation for the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. Tim and Julia, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you so much for having thank us. Thank you so much. We are taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. Ladies, we're going to shift gears here a bit. And now we're going to be focusing on the holiday season, which is coming up. And oftentimes, this is a joyous and fun occasion for a lot of folks and families. But for those who are dealing with grief, this can be a bit of a struggle and mm-hmm. can be the exact opposite of maybe what uh, you would expect mm-hmm. during the holiday season. And we're going to uh, be doing a, a four-week series on coping with grief over the holidays. We're, we'll do a segment over each of the next four weeks. And we are very pleased to welcome Haven Parrott with us from Transitions Life Care. And uh, Haven, we're going to be starting out talking about compassion. C is for compassion. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll start there. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Yes, as you mentioned, there is, you know, just recently a chill in the air, leaves are turning, cranking up our heaters, well, at least in the mornings, and it's <laughs> back to AC in the afternoon, and, you know, pumpkins, Halloween decorations, this heightened sense of um, anticipation, which means that the holiday season is just around the corner, and it can be fun, as you mentioned, for lots of folks, but really difficult, Um even more difficult than life is already for those who are grieving the death of a loved one because holidays are all about being together. And when there's an empty chair at the table, it is hard to celebrate togetherness when you're not together. Um, And then there's the meaning of the holidays that also comes into play. I mean, you know, Thanksgiving is all about being grateful, but... It can be really difficult to feel grateful when you've lost someone and you hear these never-ending messages of Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and we're profoundly not merry and not happy. And then there's New Year's, which is all about new beginnings and planning and looking ahead and that is really painful um, when you look into the future and you don't see your loved one in it. Um, So there's this, you know, it's like this the hits just keep coming for about two months um, and it can just be really, really intense um, because when you've lost somebody you love, your world loses its celebratory qualities Mm -hmm. and the holidays seem to only magnify, you know, the loss to make it even more than it already is. The The sadness feels sadder, the loneliness goes deeper And the need for support is greater during the holidays. So what can we do to cope with grief? Um, It would be nice to dive into a hole, you know, before Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving and come out sometime in (laughs) January, you know, but that really isn't realistic. Um, Kind of have to deal with what's going on. So we have this acronym, COPE. C-O-P-E here at the Grief Center that we um, often talk about that can help to help us remember some things that 
might be helpful um, as grievers go through the holiday season. And we're going to take the next four weeks, as you mentioned, just to talk a little about each one of them. But the first is um, compassion for self. C is for compassion. O is for open communication. P is for planning. And E is for engaging in self-care. And so today, a little bit about, you know, just having some compassion for yourself. And it is, um, it is so interesting to me how we who are so eager and willing um, to and quick to extend compassion to other folks who are hurting we are so reluctant to extend that same compassion to ourselves and I'm not sure what all of that is about thinking that maybe we should be doing better um, we should be going through this grief thing faster there must be something wrong with us this is taking too long um, it's just really easy for grievers to get impatient with themselves and to not extend the same compassion to themselves that they would to somebody else who is in the same situation. Um, and so, you know, just remembering that just like at any other time of year, there is no right or wrong way to cope with grief. Um, it is going to be different for each person. The holidays are going to be different for each person. And the only uh, the only key, the one key, is to be gentle and compassionate with yourself. Um, I mean, just to remember that grief affects every part of you, your your being, physically, mentally, behaviorally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, and you've never met the version of yourself that you are right now when you're grieving. People often say, I just, this is not me. This is not my normal. And it's not. Uh, you've never met this version of yourself. Your grieving self is a is a whole new someone that mm-hmm. you haven't um, that you're not familiar with. Because we we don't handle things like we you know. It's kind of like when they say um, that Snickers commercial: "You're not yourself when you're hungry." Well, you're not yourself when you're grieving. Um, so, you know, just reducing perhaps at the at the holidays thinking about a way to cope to be compassionate with yourself is to reduce what you expect yourself to do i mean the holidays can be high energy times um, where we do way too much we cook way too much we plan and we wrap and all those things wrap presents um so just maybe you don't do all that maybe you don't cook the family dinner maybe you skip or minimize the decorating or um you know you're going to see plenty of decorations outside your house maybe you acknowledge the change in your life by changing your traditions changing your expectations of yourself and it's okay um if you don't decorate as much this year you it doesn't mean that it's forever um it's okay to just press pause on some of those things that you usually expect from yourself um, and just to give yourself the permission to have the right to do what you can do, what you want to do, and, and also permission not to do what you feel like you can't do, what you can't pull off. Um, so reducing the expectations of yourself and then reducing your expectations of others. Um, I think what's really hard sometimes is when we're grieving, we expect other people to kind of know how we feel and know what we need. And they never did before, so I'm not sure why we would think they would <laughs> know that now. Um, but people don't suddenly improve their long-standing behaviors just because 
we're grieving. Um, so um, just reducing your expectations of other people, um, being able to, to know what you need um, or to know what you what you need to skip. Um, I, I find it really important and really helpful, you know, this self-compassion when things get really anxious and you feel like it's too much. Um, one of the things that I feel that I find helpful is just simply to, you know, put your hand over your heart and connect with your beating heart and take a moment and just to say, I'm doing the best I can. I, I, I am doing the best I can. I am a hurting person, person and I am, I'm doing all I can do, and it's enough. Um, so those are some ways to practice self-compassion um, during the holidays. You know, enjoy what you can enjoy, endure what you have to endure, and, and leave the rest for another year. It, it'll be here again. The holidays will come around again, and um, it doesn't mean that they have to be just this year just like they always were because the fact is this year they're not like they always were. Um, so I hope that helps some. No, that's extremely helpful, Haven. Thank you so much for walking us through that and for spending some time with us today. We're looking forward to uh, the rest of the series that we're going to be doing with you. As I said, start the segment for the next four weeks. We're going to be chatting with Haven about coping with grief over the holidays. If you missed part of this discussion today, you can go online to WPTF.com, head over to the podcast section and click on Aging Matters. And there you can listen to this segment as well as all the other segments we did today and past episodes as well. She is Haven Parrott with Transitions Life Care. Haven, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you, Jason. Take care. You as well. Thank you so much for listening today. We're out of time, but we hope you will join us again next weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.